0: okay. Uh, so everybody, welcome to another I, I still need to come up with like a name for this I don't have a name I, It used to be Authors on a Podcast Talking Books When I was just doing audio And now it's just FanFi Addicts BookTube channel I guess we'll go with that How does that sound? Does that sound good? Sounds good to me Kind of lame, I don't know it, it, it feels weird talking about my blog I don't know why uh, Maybe That's
1: self promotion Like the that's kind of been my whole life for eight years. Like you write a book and then you talk to people about it and you're like, you're like, Oh God, it doesn't sound that interesting when I explain it this way. Back out.
0: (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's, it's it's weird. I mean, I, I I have a sales background. I'm a marketing major. I'm used to promoting things, but when it comes to like myself, I just can't,
1: well, is the old joke that, like, if you ask an author how their book is, they'll be like, "Yeah, oh, it's okay, it's fine. I tried my best." You ask them about how their friend's book is, they're like, "It's amazing! It's my favorite thing in the entire world!" Right? It's very <laughs> low key. People like. Good. I I have a. I tend to like get really effusive with praise when people talk about the covers because, like, I didn't do them, so I can be like, "Oh, isn't the cover really great? This artist is so amazing." Hopefully the book's great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I hope the book looks up to the cover.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I completely understand though. Yeah, it's it's one of those things. Where, like, look how great my stuff is. Eh, just just look at their stuff. Go go pay attention yeah, to this. It's probably better. I, <laughs> I, I can only do so much to be so great. So, <laughs> um, well, uh, how is your Thursday going? I mean, you're you're two days out from publishing your new
1: book. Yeah, and uh, yeah. It's been it's been busy. I mean, you know, since since we are in the times we are, everything's been virtual. So I've been, you know, it's been Twitter and and Reddit and virtual events nonstop, basically. So um, the only real physical thing I've done is I drove up to uh, Third Place Books, which is near here, and uh, signed a bunch of stock. So let me give a plug. If you go to Third Place Books, they will ship anywhere in the country if you want to sign book of mine. Uh, that's a place to go. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been pretty good. The you know, people have been liking the book, which is always gratifying. You know, I got a bunch of reviews that, that seem to like it. So, you know, coming along. Good ch- yeah. the there's always a tricky transition period where I'm like, okay, now I gotta get back to like working on other things. Like, yeah, you know, I got more books to write, I got other work to do, I gotta 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 get on with life. Right. Not just refresh my Twitter all day long. <laughs> Wait,
0: you mean you can't just sit on Twitter all day? <laughs> I mean
1: I could, but like I wouldn't get a lot done.
0: Sounds like every author I've ever spoken to. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's an occupational disease, Twitter. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, since the thing about it is you, you have to be on Twitter and have a presence because you're an author and you have to promote your book. But at the same time, if you're on it too much, you don't get need writing done.
1: Yeah. I mean, Twitter has its ups and downs. I I people like to bash Twitter, and I very much agree, but like I really have made friends there who I ended up like meeting in person and like becoming real friends with. and like there's a ton of people I would have never interacted with otherwise. Um, yeah. so it's it's a mixed bag um, the social media world.
0: yeah I, see I, what I do is I typically just post on there and I don't really read everything else. I mean I'll yeah. follow people and stuff but at, at at certain points it becomes a little overwhelming. Yeah. And it's also like, oh, that that I, I feel like I need to comment on that but I'm not going to, so I just, yeah. I'm just, just going to something Learning else.
1: not to comment is very important. I've also, I know, I've heavily curated my feeds so I have a bunch of keywords blocked and I don't see retweets mo- from for most people and it's just like to get it down to a level where I can actually like read it in a reasonable amount of time without overwhelming myself and it's also just not like doom all the time. All right. um, I need to least, do that, especially, I mean, uh, especially when like you know things are happening in the country or like politics is going on, and I'm just like, I read that stuff on in the news. I don't need it like again in my social media feed a thousand times an hour.
0: Exactly, and and I don't and I don't need people that I know commenting on it <laughs> because hard. because that's then short. I go, oh gosh, I I I thought I knew you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, pe- that's more of a, a Facebook
1: opinion. thing. Oh, is it okay see At least for I, me, like that's face Facebook is where you get to find out what your you know, your cousin who you haven't met in twenty years, but you find out their political opinions.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, I, I know a few of those and I and I tend to just unfollow them. I'm like, we can say friends, but I, I don't care right. about anything you post. <laughs> Um, all right, so let's kind of get started uh, about all you. Right. Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure you've been loving talking about yourself this past week with your, uh, with your big digital <laughs> release and stuff. To it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, just kind of first off, uh, tell me who is Django Wexler
1: and why does he write? <laughs> um, so, I'm Django Wexler. Uh, I, um, by training, I'm a software engineer, a computer scientist. Uh, I went to Carnegie Mellon in Pittsburgh. Um, for that, and I worked doing software engineering for probably about 10 years after graduation. I worked in um, AI research for DARPA for a while, and then I went to uh, Microsoft and worked on .NET. Um, But I've always been writing also. Um, I started writing when I was like a late teenager, um, and I did a lot of role-playing game stuff. I did some fanfic stuff, and then um, in college, I sort of got into like, maybe I'm gonna write something for publication, and I started working on that. Um, I had a small press book in like 2005, but, um, it wasn't until about 2012 that I really sold anything, you know, that anyone has ever heard of. So thousand names was my first book It came out in 2013, I think. Um, but yeah, so, you know, I've always been telling stories in various ways. Um, like for me it all, why I write is just, I like doing that. It's, it's the most fun thing for me. It used to be, um, like tabletop RPGs were my outlet, but then like after I moved away to college and I didn't have my like local tabletop group anymore, I needed something else to do. Mm. Um, and so that's kind of how I got into writing. That's the short version.
0: <laughs> I gotcha. Sure. Yeah, you said you said you're from, uh, originally from Pittsburgh, you're transplanting. I, I grew up in New York,
1: actually. Oh, okay. um, sorry, I, I, I grew up in Westchester, so a little bit north of New York City. Um, I went to college in Pittsburgh, so '99, and then I lived there after university, after uh, graduation, to work for the university with for the defense department. So I worked there maybe what eight, nine years in Pittsburgh, and then I moved here to Seattle.
0: Okay, yeah, because uh, I I was just wondering. I'm I'm a big, you know, we talked a little bit off camera about sports, and I'm a big uh, Pittsburgh Penguins fan. So oh yeah, if, if, anytime somebody says Pittsburgh, I'm just like.
1: You know, a little, a little raw in the background. I, I'm not a sports person, but, like, man, living in Pittsburgh, you have to be aware of that stuff because it's all anyone talks about, it. except for the Pirates. Nobody liked the Pirates for some reason. Yeah, nobody really all these talks about Pirates fans, that. but people in Pittsburgh do not care at all. No, they don't. They're, they're like yeah, you're,
0: yeah, you're either a Steelers fan, you're a Penguins fan, or, you know, you need to move out and go to Philly that's uh, yeah. pretty much it. Yeah, no, nobody really talks about the Bucks at all. <laughs> um but see that's kind of like that's kind of like living in Alabama. I mean, you know, as soon as you move here, you're either an Auburn fan or an Alabama fan for college football. And uh if you're neither, you need to leave. It, yeah. That's pretty much you know how it goes when
1: you're in a sports town. I, I actually gym. moved to Seattle the year after Pittsburgh beat the Seahawks for the in the Super Bowl. Um, if I'm remembering correctly and it meant that I had to be kind of careful telling people where I had moved from because all the people here are like ah, we hate that Pittsburgh now right <laughs> yeah we're, we're, now,
0: Yeah. exactly exactly yeah I can imagine yeah it's 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 weird for sure uh sports and especially I don't know if, I don't know if you get up at all just like with what's going on I know we talked a little bit about uh, you know kind of how things are progressing with pandemic and so forth then we talk about you know, the different sports teams now washington's doesn't have a mascot anymore yeah. uh and you know baseball season like officially starts today and they're doing it with like artificial fan noise
1: yeah i saw that there's like CG <laughs> crowds so baseball is becoming like like uh, a baseball video game which i yeah. Right, It's like we might as well just play the games In NFL 2K or whatever The, the modern equivalent is
0: Yeah, yeah. exactly and, and I was Not reading This, this long post enough. on uh, on ESPN About how you know like The commissioner can cancel the season at any time And there's already you know several Players that have opted out and umpires that have opted out And they've talked about How some teams may play with like Less players on the field for social <laughs> Distance purposes I'm like you know what I, 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 I'm doing nothing With sports right now <laughs>
1: I'm just envisioning a football team now doing like a completely different set of formations because they got to mm. spread their guys out. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's, it's like, a, like a oh, football. two players within six feet of each other. Social distancing error, 10
0: yards. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine that, you know, at some point they may end up having to do like flag football and you only have like seven players on each side and, you know, you've got to line up six feet apart. I mean, it's, it's going to be nuts. I mean, I don't think it'll ever get to that point. They'll, they'll just cancel it before it gets there. But, <laughs> I mean, they can just do, you know, backyard football teams or backyard baseball teams or something. Yeah, like we so. might
1: as well just, just you know, this is the big big times for eSports, right? We'll just get everyone hooked on League of Legends and Overwatch. And just
0: there you go. That. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then, uh, I mean, I'm pretty sure, didn't they just, or uh, have they released, like, the remaster of Warcraft 3 yet? Because uh, I've definitely. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. well, well they have. we have
1: to do that. Man, if they put that out, I might even be good at it. Oh my but gosh, that was like Dude. the last game I was any good at, and that's not true. But like, that was the last game I like played multiplayer and was any good at, and that was like. Uh-huh. Years ago. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah, I mean, man, man. When, my- when I was like in high school, I mean,
0: it yeah. was that was like religious. I played that every day, and I've I've since come back and played a few times, but it's
1: just like a bunch of trolls now, it's like not even fun. <laughs> I still play games constantly, but like, I basically only play multiplayer co-op. I just like, I just don't have the the energy to play against internet randos anymore. Like I'm just, you know, not, I don't have the time. I'm competitive enough that I get frustrated when I lose and I don't have the time to be good anymore. Even if I was capable of it, like I don't have that kind of time and effort to put into getting You don't life.
0: have like the drive
1: yeah it. i'm just not yeah
0: sure. i mean you know like like i was really great at modern warfare like on xbox yeah. and i'd play a line at you know prestige all the way through and then i went to college and i played a little bit less and then i graduated and tried to play like one of the new ones and like within the first few games i was just getting smoked and i go you know this isn't this isn't my life anymore
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> I
0: stick to solo campaign
1: yeah so these uh, days either single player or games i can play with my friends I gotcha.
0: Um, all right, so kind of, kind of back to you. Um, can you tell me maybe some, some of your writing influences over the years? You know, past and present.
1: Writing influences is tough because it's like I can tell you the books that I really like, but it's always like, how much did that actually influence me? Um, a big obvious one is uh, is George R. R. Martin. Um, Shadow campaigns came almost directly out of reading Game of Thrones and being like, this is amazing, um, and in particular the way. George takes the the sort of standard knights and castles fantasy and brings it back to its like historical roots in basically 12th and 13th century England and Scotland. Um, and so Shadow Campaigns was basically me reading that and then being like, "This is really cool, and I want to do that, but like not with that era and that time period, um, because like he did it already." And then right. later I was reading The Campaigns of Napoleon, which is Napoleonic Wars. And I was like, great, I'm going to do this. So that was kind of the origin of that. So George R. R. Martin's a big one. Um, I read a lot of golden age science fiction um, back in the day. So a lot of like Asimov and, and Clark and that stuff, especially the short stories um, was big. And uh, Neil Stevenson, you know, uh, Cryptonomicon is still one of my favorite books ever. Um, Snow Crash and all, all the stuff that he did is, um his style is so amazing, I still can't do things the way he does them. Um, so those would be the biggest like early ones. Obviously, I've read a lot since, but yeah. Right.
0: I gotcha. Are you are you looking forward to the new foundation series on Apple Plus?
1: Maybe. Like <laughs> Oh, heck
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> foundation is like is really hard to film because like can you name a character from the Foundation novels other than Harry Seldon? I can't, and I read them like four times. Like, there's just not, I guess, The Mule. But, like, there's just not, it, it, it's, like, bigger and sociological, and there's just, like, not that much, like, character drama, because that's not what Asimov was interested in. And that makes it kind of really hard to do as a movie or a TV series, because obviously you right. need people and actors. Um, yeah. they're going to have to change a ton of stuff. Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I reserve judgment. Honestly, Foundation isn't my favorite. Like, Asimov's best in short fiction. I have a couple of, like, some of my most treasured books from childhood are these, like, the complete Isaac Asimov short stories, which are just amazing. Like, oh, he's, he did so many great stories. I um, got you. But, uh, but, yeah, we'll see. There, there's a bunch that we'll kind of, we'll see. There's a Wheel of Time series coming out. And that's like, yeah. Lord of the Rings. Um, looking forward to more of The Witcher. I really like The Witcher. Um, yeah,
0: I mean, it's, and have you
1: watched uh, what's the newest one
0: based on the comic book they just put on on Netflix? Old Guard.
1: Is oh, right, the movie. Yeah, it was pretty good. A movie. Yeah, cursed too, which I think is um, based on something. Is that Millar? I think so. I can't, I can't yeah, I think it's from comic. I haven't read it, but um, okay. And but then, uh, and then, of course, you got the second
0: season of The Boys. I'm looking forward to that one. That that's ah, that I couldn't get to, but like
1: that's, that's fine. Uh, I love uh, that. I'm I'm currently uh, watching the third season of Dark, which is like the most. Uh, it's it's a very difficult show. Like you literally watch it with like a chart of characters because like it's it's this like. Complicated time travel show, and so like every character is played by at least three different actors at different ages as they go back oh. and forth. It's amazing. I love. It. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've heard,
0: heard plenty of good stuff for it. I just I haven't, yeah. I haven't watched
1: it yet. um It takes takes an effort to like understand what the hell you're doing. But um,
0: <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah, our 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 main our main stuff we've been watching we've been watching all this like. Uh, and not really crime drama, but like all the, uh, like cold case files and stuff. Oh yeah. We've been watching, I mean, we watched, like, we finally watched making a murder like, a oh. couple months ago. That's been like our pandemic things. We're just watching all of these things like unsolved mysteries and, uh, you know, people Conferent that went to jail wrongly. Crime. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, what, what can we do while we're stuck in house all day? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Especially, you know, especially since you know my wife was you know pregnant for three of those months, and then now we've got a baby, so we still can't go anywhere.
1: Yeah. So. yeah, it's a good yeah. time to have a baby, honestly, because like you're not yeah. going anywhere anyway. So like exactly.
0: Yeah, uh, I mean groceries, you just you just you know you put it in an app and go pick it up, and yeah, you know you can get you can get uh, you know restaurant food to go, and it's just like I'm just gonna sit here and be a glutton. That works for yeah.
1: me. <laughs> my way. I often joke that I've been preparing for this pandemic my entire life, right? My my policy of never going anywhere or doing anything has worked out great. <laughs> yeah,
0: my, my wife keeps joking. She's like, you know, this pandemic's perfect for you because you already like you enjoy being at home and you know doing things around the house, like playing video games and reading and doing podcasts and video chats and stuff like that. And the fact that I can work remotely, I'm like, yeah, I. This is kind of my dream a little bit
1: <laughs> because oh, yeah. she's like
0: more outgoing and wants to see her friends and all this yeah. stuff. It's,
1: it's much harder for some people. You know, I have I have friends who are more extroverts and I, I feel for them. But yeah, for me personally, <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, I sit here with my laptop and I type. Yeah, just it. another day. <laughs> yeah,
0: as you can tell, you can probably hear our, our, our baby crying. I don't know if you can or not. But. Oh, I- Just, she's not, she's not having a great time right now. Uh, (laughs) She's wife's got her. So, Um, so, okay. So uh, we've talked about influences, talked about kind of how you got into writing. Uh, Mm -hmm. So tell me a little bit about your, um, you know, your writing process and maybe how it's changed since the beginning
1: to now, or has it changed? Has it stayed the same? I have, I used to be a sort of dedicated pantser and I hated outlines and I have completely switched sides um, the the process was that when I was uh, when we first were sending thousand names out which is the first book of my shadow campaign series um, my agent was like you need to write a uh, outline for the rest of the series so that we can sell it and I was like oh, I hate writing outlines I don't want to but i finally did it and it took a month and it was like the worst thing ever and so i, I was like oh why do i don't have to do this this is the worst but then when the time came to actually write the second book i couldn't help but notice how much easier it was it was so much easier it took me almost three years to write the first book and then the second one took six months and so i was like wow this uh this really works so you know i don't want to be prescriptive because like writing is super personal so always stick with you know, look for what works for you. But I, I found out that as much as I dislike outlines, they really do work for me. And um, ever since then, I've been more and more thoroughly an outlined person. And so now my outlines, my writing process is typically, I sort of do a very loose pass of just kind of writing notes about, you know, like, okay, this is this is the sort of general stuff that'll happen. And then I write an outline that's maybe... One paragraph per scene in the final text. That's usually about ten percent the length of the final text. So, for *Ashes of the Sun*, the outline is about fifteen thousand words. Um, and then from that, I write the final text, and that's usually pretty fast, um, which is good. It's the outline method is also it's it's like reliable and relatively quick, which is good from a business point of view. Like, it's always good for uh, you know to to be able to turn things in on time probably um but yeah so my process once i'm once i'm actually drafting is really simple um you know i have my couch which you can see behind me um and i sit on it with my laptop and i type from the beginning until i get to the end um because i've got this outline and it's it's sort of dialed in all the way through um and so the advantage of the outline process is that like if i need to make a big change hopefully i figure that out during the outline phase and it's way easier to change there than it is after you write 50,000 words of text um, and then you know once it's done then i do an editing pass and my editors look at it and there's a bunch of other stuff but that's it's it's a pretty simple process i distrust anything that's like too complicated because you can get bogged down in process if you're not careful
0: yeah so do you have like a specific word count per day that you like feel like is yeah. a-
1: um that's another thing where it's like really personal. Like some people hate having a a, a, a quota. Some people use like a timer. Uh, for me, I tend to procrastinate, and so if I use the timer, I just like waste time, um, which is no good. Uh, but and my biggest problem is that if I don't have a quota, then when I get, you know, I'll I'll be like that seems like enough, and then there's like the voice in the back of my head that says, you know you could do more. Like, why are you being so lazy? And I'm like, and I can't like enjoy anything. So I usually write about 3000 words a day um, when I'm doing drafting. Uh, and then when I get to the end of that, then I'm like, okay, I'm done. I can play video games. I can read a book. I can enjoy my life. And I don't have to think, Oh man, you know, maybe I should be doing more writing because that's like, you know, a reasonable time frame. Right. Um, but yeah, that's, it, it's a pretty good pace. You know, that gets me through I just finished the sequel to Ashes and it took about ten weeks to write, something like that. Well, but um and then something, you know, maybe another two weeks for doing the outline and then we'll do the edits later, but something like that. Wow. That that's impressive. I it's weird because so when I when I was working full time. Uh, at Microsoft, I would write in the mornings for an hour and I would do a thousand words a day. And then I quit and I was like, I'm gonna be so much more productive. I have all this time and I'm not that much more productive. And it still kind of bothers me. I'm like, I have like eight hours a day to spend on this. Why am I not writing 8,000 words a day? And the answer is that that's impossible unless you're a crazy person. But um, but yeah, it it occasionally bugs me. Um, but yeah, that's that's, you know, I don't know, three or four hours of writing. Okay. Yeah. You need, you need, to, not, you need
0: to not go watch the
1: uh, the
0: chat or the uh, uh, panel I have with Elena Boyden because she's going to make you feel terrible for your 1,000 to 3,000 words a day. Why? Is she much faster? Oh, my gosh. Oh, there was like, she, she did, I think it was like 30,000 words in like a day.
1: Oh, God. Uh, See, yeah. There time. are occasionally people like, Thirty thousand words a day. I couldn't physically do it. Like my wrists would give out. Like, right? Uh, there's no way. No, yeah, it's and, your willpower at that point. And that's the thing. Like, you really have to find out what works for you because, like, if you are a person for whom like five hundred words is a good day, and you try to like force yourself to do three thousand words a day, you will go crazy. And so, just like whatever gets you to the end of the book is what's a good thing, and that's all that matters. Yeah, because um, I know many very successful authors who write a lot slower than I do. I know, you know, Brandon Sanderson and Matt lot all write much faster. So you know,
0: <laughs> the books are way longer or, or a lot a lot longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think I think uh, you know I was talking to uh, Miles Cameron, um, and and he was saying that one of his friends that uh, they okay- I guess not occasionally write together, but they've written together before. Think writes like 150 to 200 words a day, and yeah. we were just like mind blown. But they're like a really you know well known author, and they've published several books and everything. It's just like it's crazy because
1: I just feel like a book would never be done at that point. I mean, it really depends on how long you're taking between books, but like you know, even if you're writing 100 words a day, and if you do that for three years, you'll be done, right? Yeah. And that's you know, for for many people, three years is not an an Uh, usual amount of time to spend writing a book. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, part of it is, you know, you have to separate the sort of artistic stuff from the business stuff. You know, if you want to actually make a living, then you do need a certain amount of speed unless you're like successful enough to just like coast for a long time. Um, But like, uh, so obviously that helps, but like, you know, that's not necessarily the goal for everyone. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, well, let's talk about some of your books. So, uh, obviously, you've you've had some successful uh, series prior to your newest release. So, I kind of want to hit on a couple of those first. Um, so, the Shadow Campaign. So, that was your first like big series that uh, that sold and you know has had some really good readership. Can you tell everybody that's watching maybe uh, maybe kind of some selling points on that series to kind of get people interested?
1: Yeah. So. I mean, as I was saying earlier, Shadow Campaigns was me wanting to do a fantasy that was very grounded in reality. So very low magic, a kind of a secondary world, but one that was sort of similar to the real world in most respects. Um, and uh, focused on a military theme um, and set in the Napoleonic era, so roughly 1790s through 1815, excuse me, Um, and uh, that turned out to be a lot of fun. I originally had this idea that I was going to very closely do an allegory of the Napoleonic Wars. Um, I had read this series uh, by S.M. Sterling and David Drake called The General, which is basically a sci-fi retelling of the campaigns of Belisarius. Um, and it's pretty great. I recommend it to everyone. It's kind of old and hard to find now, but but look it up if you can. I think they reissued it as an omnibus. Um, that's a good series. Uh, and I kind of wanted to do something like that, but as I started writing it, it kind of mutated. Um, and so there's less. It's less directly allegorical. Like if it, it doesn't quite follow the history in the same way, um, and it's more driven by the characters. But that was kind of the inception. So it's this series. Where you have a a young, conspicuously brilliant um, officer in the army who uh, kind of takes it in a new direction, just as the pot of revolution is boiling over back in the in the home country, and he ends up sort of leading the the country in a, in a way not dissimilar to Napoleon. Um, and it talks about about his subordinates mostly are our primary characters. Um, uh a guy named marcus who is the the sort of um his second in command and then a woman named winter who uh starts out as sort of being in disguise in the army um because uh they're male only uh at least at the start of the book so that sort of changes over time and by being in in the right place at the right time and and uh being good at what she does she ends up sort of getting promoted repeatedly and uh shouldering greater responsibilities which she's kind of uncertain about whether she wants to do um and then there's a magical thread where it's um there's this hidden magic most people in the world don't believe in it anymore because it's been suppressed by uh, their equivalent of the catholic church um but it uh it sort of boils up from underneath and uh kind of takes over eventually so that's kind of my pitch without getting too spoilery into like later books, but like um, it's a lot of fun. So if you like your fantasy with like, you know, I like it cause it's not your standard knights and castles, right? The <laughs> muskets and cavalry and cannons and, you know, forming square and all the, all that fun stuff. Um, and, you know, I try to try to do the military stuff in a way that's, Reasonably realistic and true to the sources that I read, um, mm. and um, you know, uh, in a in a kind of you know similar to the George Martin books, in that there's magic, but it's like not a huge factor initially, and it kind of comes to be more so over time. Okay,
0: yeah, I was, was going to ask if it's if it's kind of similar to maybe like Brian McClellan you know, being the Flintlock lot. Yeah,
1: no, I actually just. Magic, like pretty, pretty yeah. Out there for. Well, I just did a stream with Brian yesterday, actually, and we joked about how we've been kind of joined at the hip because my book and his book, the first books of our respective series, came out within a couple of months of each other, right? And so we had re- we had written these things that were both in the same time period without any knowledge of it, each other, and they both came out, and then we ended up on a bunch of like lists and and chats and stuff together, uh-huh. so we've kind of like been been in the same cohort. Um, But, yeah, I often say that, like, we both were doing sort of French Revolution and Gunpowder, and I kind of came to it by way of George Martin, and he came to it by way of Brandon Sanderson. Um, And so his stuff is much, you know, much higher magic and much, you know, it reminds me more of, like, something like Mistborn, which I love, right? Obviously, um, I really like Brian's books. Uh, But, yeah, it's it's that kind of Brandon Sanderson slam-bang magical duel stuff. Which ironically is more like Ashes of the Sun than it is like Shadow Campaigns. Ashes of the Sun, right. a much higher magic environment.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of figured like, you know, Brian was like the Orbit version and you were the the ace version of Footlock That's Fantasy.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's funny. Like, it didn't really become a trend. You don't see all that many people writing in that area, but like. Um, I guess the trend is more is less flintlock specifically, and more just like not medieval Europe, which is yeah. great. I'm I'm yeah. super happy with with not medieval Europe. Yeah, it's it's finally kind of going away, <laughs> or at least a little uh, bit. Like yeah. Fantasy as a genre took a long time to get out of the shadow of Tolkien, where it's like, you know, we're not just doing that over and over again. It took you know 20 years. Yeah, um, <laughs> but, uh, at least. Uh, but things things are things are good now um i'm really happy like there's so many there's more good fantasy stuff than i can even read and keep up with these days so i feel like yes, in really a, a good place, lot of lots of diversity lots of you know more than uh, 20 years ago
0: yeah absolutely um again okay, another series i want to talk about which you're still currently currently in the middle of is the wells of sorcery which is your new uh, YA series, yeah. Uh, if you want to talk a little bit about
1: that, so Wells of Sorcery is about a girl named Issica who is a kind of gang enforcer in um, a, the a crime ridden city. Uh, and this is a world where people have are born with intrinsic magic, um, most people aren't. Uh, nobles tend to be, and then there are commoners who can have magic, but it's illegal for them to have it. And so, if they if they find out, then they draft you into the army or something. Um, and so she's been keeping it secret and using her magic, which is uh, to summon magical armor and blades, to uh, you know be a gang enforcer. Um, and the kind of spy master who runs her country um, grabs her and says, "There's this mysterious ghost ship that comes to our." city every couple years, um, and demands that we put people aboard it. Um, And it's bigger and faster than any ship ever built. And we want you to steal it and bring it back for our Navy. Um, And so she gets put aboard. uh, And she has a little sister that she cares about very much. And they're like, this is our hostage. If you don't bring the ship back, then we're going to kill her. Um, And so she gets put on board the ship and finds out that there are people living on it. And they have this kind of weird lord of the flies-esque society because the ship is like overrun by giant monster crabs among (laughs) other i call them crabs but they're actually a bunch of weird different monsters um and uh and so they're like constantly having to defend themselves from that and so she has to work her way up through that and figure out the mystery of where this ship is and where it came from um and ultimately try to get back to her sister and also you know get away from uh the government of her country and how they want to kill her. So it's a lot of fun. It's very, um, it's like a much more high magic system than shadow campaigns. Uh, Magic powers in that are much more like superpowers or something out of the X-Men where, uh, you know, it's called the Wells of Sorcery. There are nine Wells of Sorcery and each one provides a different power set and you can be born with differing levels of access to one or more of them. Um, and people sort of have it intrinsically. Um, And so there's a lot of, like, magical duels or, uh, you know, people with magical power fighting giant monsters are the two sort of main venues in that story. And bring it on. Yeah, it's great. (laughs) It's it's two books. The first one is, uh, so far, the first one is Ship of Smoke and Steel. The second one is um, City of Stone and Silence. And the third one, which I think is going to be called Siege of Rage and Ruin, and is the end of the series, is... I think I, it's done. Like I've, I've done all the work on it that I'm doing. I think it comes out in January. So.
0: Okay. And those are all from tour team, correct? Yeah. Yeah. are okay. so great. Definitely-
1: those, that's one of the ones where I can, I can talk about the cover and, and enthuse because um, Richard Anderson, who draws the covers is amazing. <laughs> Gosh, he he's so, so good. Covers. And I, like, it's weird, too, because it was, like, one of my life goals to have him do a cover of mine. And so, like, when they asked me, like, what do you think for the cover? And I was like, well, I really love Richard Anderson. So, like, anyone who could do something like that would be great. And they're like, oh, I think we could get him. And I'm like, oh, I, I crossed that one off the bucket. And <laughs> Um and, then, <laughs> and-, and so behold, he delivered some amazing stuff. I'm so looking forward to what he does for book three. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah, yeah, the
0: covers for the first two were fantastic. But, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen a cover that he's done, but I've been like, that's okay.
1: I no, mean, yeah. They're always so, phenomenal. Yeah. I, I caught on to it when he was doing the Brian Stavely covers. The one for Last Mortal Bond in particular is one of my favorites ever.
0: Yeah, uh, I think the one for Skull Swarm.
1: Yeah, oh. really
0: cool. oh, that's so great. Yeah, uh, there, there's a new, I guess you can kind of call him up and coming. Granted, he's already done some covers for Tor, but uh, Felix Ortiz. Oh, yeah. Uh, he's great. very, very similar kind of uh, artistic style to, yeah. uh, to Richard Anderson. Man, I mean, if if those guys could just like put out all the covers, I mean, I mean, <laughs> more than ecstatic. I I uh, had to get more bookshelves <laughs> for sure. <so. laughs> we all always need more bookshelves. oh yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're always running out of room, right? Um. All right, so we're gonna move on to the the main event, I guess. <laughs> um. Yeah, so we're gonna talk about. Ashes of the Sun, which is your newest novel that just came out on Tuesday. It's even got a nice lovely spine. I mean, I don't you don't see many beautiful spines. That's a pretty spine. Thank you. And then of course, there's the back of it. Um but yeah, so it released on Tuesday. It's uh yeah. your, the beginning of your new trilogy Burning Blade and Silver Eye. Um
1: tell us a little bit about it. It feels like it's been forever before like i finished that so long ago it feels like the distant past since this year has already been 10 years long um uh so ash of the sun is about um it's about a lot of things but it's about a brother and a sister who when they're fairly young um the twilight order who are the people who are in charge of uh magicians come and they say your sister has the potential to be a powerful uh they call them centarchs these sort of magic knights Um, And she's got to come and train with us and she doesn't want to and the centaur who comes is like well Too bad and in the ensuing scuffle um, The brother Geyer gets badly hurt um, And the sister is taken away and so we cut to 12 years later And she has been brought up in the order and has become a sort of enthusiastic convert to their uh, Their way of, of thinking which is that they are sort of defenders of what's left of civilization after this kind of magical apocalypse, and that they use their powers to help defend the innocent. In the meantime, her brother has sort of drifted into unsavory criminal and rebel circles and is looking for forbidden magic to sort of try and topple the order who he sees as like tyrannical despots. Um, And so the the sort of, when they come back together, that sort of recombination is is where that story comes from really fun um i really like the world too it's this i described it as a magical post-apocalypse so it's like there was a high magic civilization that completely fell apart um and that's not like an uncommon theme in fantasy like you see a lot of ruined civilizations but often they're not all that visible like there's a there's a building or there's like a ruin with some ancient guardians and whatever in it but that's it whereas like in this one I want this civilization is more like a modern equivalent civilization. Um, and so when it fell apart, even hundreds of years later, there's just stuff everywhere. You know, there's, the world is just littered with their wreckage, basically. Mm-hmm. And so it's less kind of DD adventuring into the ancient dungeons and more Mad Max, where we're sort of building our houses out of the broken bits of other people's skyscrapers.
0: Kind of like a fallout,
1: mm-hmm. a yeah, yeah. Just, just taking every piece of debris and making a bunker right. out of it because that's, <laughs> because you know our you know our civilization has completely changed the earth and like if we even if we disappeared tomorrow there would be bits and pieces everywhere. Um, and so, so everybody has so much stuff. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's a fun take for me. I, I had a lot of fun exploring that and exploring the different ways in which. People would sort of repurpose things for stuff they weren't originally designed for.
0: Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Right, um, so, tell me—you uh, know—you kind of hit on the Twilight Order a little bit. Can you tell me a little bit about the Plagueborn?
1: So, uh, the Plagueborn are the monsters. Um, I mean, the the backstory is that the the Chosen, who are the the creators of this advanced civilization, had a war against an enemy they called the Ghouls. Um, And the ghouls unleashed a plague that eventually killed off all the Chosen, um, leaving humanity with only the sort of remnants of their magical tech. Um, And then there are these things called the Plagueborn, which are monsters that arise in a way that no one fully understands, um, but they are based on the ghoul's magic, which is sort of control of life and biology. Um, And so they can take living things apart and add their pieces to themselves. So the plagueborn look like these nightmare-like combinations of different animals or humans. Um, so lots of they don't have skin. So lots of like weird, twisted bone and like like messed up bits of muscle and other tissue, and then like someone's face or a hand sticking out or whatever. They're really horrific. It was kind of like I, I was go, I don't know. I was saying on a different chat that like this is kind of what scares me is this body horror stuff, and so I went for like right. the worst monsters that I come up can come up with, and they just sort of drippish, drippy, gooey monstrosities. Um, and they, the way they work is they like they just hunt for more animals and people to kill, and then add them to themselves and get bigger and bigger and bigger. So like they're the little teeny ones can be kind of a nuisance and then you find one that's the size of a house and you'll have to fucking run away. (laughs) Yeah. I
0: was trying to, I was trying to find, um, it was in the first chapter of of how exactly you, um, you explained what they were. Cause it, yeah, it says right here, uh, the thing had no skin. It's grotesque musculature on full display, red gray flesh twisting and pulsing as it moved. But it's something like it was like a, like a butcher's
1: block mixed with something else. I can't remember I'm exactly what
0: it was. So <laughs> what it like.
1: like yeah, something like, like it's like if you went into a butcher shop and just like built something out of dismembered meat, tried to just like build an animal. That's kind yeah. of what it looked like. And you were yeah. also insane. <laughs> um,
0: what was what, what was like the influence behind
1: creating these grotesque? Um, Monsters. I knew I needed monsters because like in order for the 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 plot to work there needs to be a sort of ongoing threat to civilization and I wanted it to be something sort of continuous right so that there's these monsters that no one really knows where they come from but they they are constantly sort of wandering into civilized areas and um, attacking people um and so knowing that, I kind of don't know where the actual like idea for this game. from. I really was just like, what's the worst thing I can think of in terms of, in terms of monsters? I just want them to be like unrepentantly awful. Like, there's, right. there's nothing cute about them.
0: What, what can I do to make these horrible but not yeah. get into the genre of horror? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um, well, it's not horror because like you can fight them pretty easily. Like, right. that's the other thing is like they're, I feel like they feel the equivalent of the way of some monsters in like a D&D campaign because they're basically mindless and they just come in constantly. They're the like random encounters that constantly fight to the death, even though it makes no sense, um, you know. But it's it means that whenever you travel somewhere in this universe, unless you're in a well patrolled area, you have to be careful because encountering these guys is just like par for the course. Right. It's just like you're, you're going to go down,
0: you're going to go down the road and it's just going to jump out. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, just reading, you know, I've I'm actually been I've just been binging it today uh, on audio from uh, Imogen Church. But um, just going through it, I, I feel like there's some definite Star Wars influences. Yeah. Can you sure. talk a
1: little bit about that? Well, and that's kind of the origin story of this book. Um, I wrote a sort of long version of this. If you go over to Chuck Wendig's blog, he was ha- nice enough to host it for me. But um, the the sort of relatively short version is I was watching, well, let me start out. I'm a huge fan of Star Wars. <laughs> no, I Star
0: Wars. never. <laughs> uh,
1: I love, like, everything. I'm writing a story for the new uh, Certain Point of View anthology that comes out in November. <sighs> I'm super psyched about that. Um, so, uh, and among the reasons I love Star Wars is I'm like a nitpicker and I love nitpicking Star Wars. And so uh, we have to, I feel like I have to include that caveat so that people know that I'm not like, I'm not like crapping on this, like I love it. Um, right. But so I was watching, uh, you know, the Star Wars prequels and then the Clone Wars um, and watching how the Jedi get trained. And I was like, this is a little creepy, right? Cause the Jedi get picked up when they're like five years old and they're taken to the Jedi temple. Um, And it's not just like, oh, yeah, we're going to teach you how to, like, make things move rocks with your mind or whatever. They get taught this, like, incredibly strict code of discipline. They're like ascetic warrior monks, and they swear off of love. This is like a really serious life (laughs) choice that your, like, five-year-old is not qualified to make. Right. Right. This is a cult, right? These people are being kidnapped and brainwashed. Um, But... You know, it's arguably justifiable because, you know, you you need the if people have the force power, you need them to a be on the right side, and then b you need them to help you defend the galaxy. Um, And so, in Star Wars, they have the force, which helps like guide all this. So it's not as creepy as it looks, presumably, since the force would uh, would not allow it. Um, but so I wanted to do a story like that, but maybe without the, uh, what TV Tropes calls the omniscient morality license, where it's all going to work out for the best and so we can forgive, you know, people doing somewhat creepy things. And so in, in Ashes, I built a kind of analog of this where, um, you know, there's a genuine question of, is it okay to take people and force them to become Centaurks if they have the potential to do so? because the world needs them, right? That humanity needs defenders. Um, but at the same time, it's like a huge violation of their personal rights. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that was kind of the philosophical conflict that's at the core of this story, and that's kind of where I went with it. And then the other, the other side of that is once they're trained and, and you know brainwashed, some would say, the Jedi in Star Wars, uh, in the prequels, they don't rule the Republic, but they're definitely in charge of a lot of things. They get put in charge of the war once the war starts. Um, and it's not clear if this is because they're like wise and they have the force to guide them, or just because no one can stop them, because they have lightsabers and they can kill anything that moves. Um, and so that same tension is in Ashes, that the Order and the Centarchs are are kind of running the show... And they have this, you know, they talk about how it's for the good of humanity, but it's also very clearly because no one can stop them because they have magic swords and they have all the ancient technology and magic on their side. And, you know, who's going to say no. Right.
0: Exactly. Um, And last question I got for you. So uh, would you say that this is, I guess kind of, kind of correct uh, about the novel and maybe even future novels, but it's very much like uh, since you've got two characters, a brother and a sister, that you have you know competing storylines throughout the book. Would you say it's very much like a coming of age, righting the wrongs of the world, and finding yourself type novel?
1: Mm A (laughs) little less. I don't. It's not strictly coming of age. That's closer to what Wells of Sorcery is like. Um. This one for me is about, it's it's a sort of philosophical argument with swords. Um, that And it's this question of who can be trusted with power, right? Does being born with power give you the right to rule? Um, if we could give that power to everyone, should we? Um, you know, that kind of thing. And that you have these people who come at it from extreme opposite ends of this question um, that that Maya, the the younger sister, has bought into the order's philosophy and believes that they are in fact correct to rule the world. Um, and Geyer, on the other hand, thinks they need to be gotten rid of and that everybody should have power um, as much as they can. Um, and, you know, I think I don't think it's too spoilery to say that, like, eventually they will get to some sort of a conclusion, right? That that you know, this is a thing that neither one of these points of view is is like strictly correct. At least, you know, who can say what's correct? But like, mm-hmm. that people are going to be shaken from their initial points of view by the events of the story. Um, and by sort of trying to put things into effect and seeing what the consequences are, um, and so it's it's about that. It's about a sort of philosophical argument and journey on the behalf of these characters.
0: Okay. Um, well, that's kind of what I've got for the uh, for for Ashes. I don't want to, you know, obviously get into too much spoiler territory since it did just come out, and uh, yeah. obviously want everybody to check it out. Um, so a couple more questions. Uh, what are you working on now? I'm assuming, you know, book two, which you said you've you've pretty much already (laughs) written
1: book two is done. Um, my editor, Breet uh, had just had a baby and so she's off for me to leave. Congratulations to her. But so, um, so that'll be a while until she gets back and then we'll, we'll do the the rest of the editing, but that's fine because it's not due out until about this time next year. So there's plenty of time. Um, so that's, that's out and uh wells of sorcery 3 is sort of done and dusted and that'll be out in january um the star wars thing is coming out in november um and after that um that's when i start not being able to talk about stuff there's some new stuff i'm working on but the contracts aren't signed yet so i can't really come out with it um obviously ashes 3 uh which doesn't have a title yet uh will be out uh probably two years from about now so i'll probably start writing that next year um that's the next thing. But right now I'm working on uh, a project that is yet to be announced, so I can't quite get into it. But uh, but there's always new and cool stuff coming out.
0: Yeah, okay. I, 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 assume, <laughs> you, I assume you're at least going to stay with, with fantasy there, right? Or Do, yeah, do you uh, have
1: any intention to go science fiction? I've done a little science fiction work. Um, I have a short story that was in uh, Asimov's that uh, I'm pretty fond of that was science fiction. But mostly fantasy seems to be my home genre. Uh, I read a lot of science fiction, so I'm not opposed to the idea. But like, uh, my, the ideas that come to me are mostly fantasy. I gotcha. Okay.
0: Uh, and then last question I got for you: um, any uh, any books you've read recently that you'd recommend to the audience, or maybe some authors that need more readership?
1: Um, I let's see. Um, I my ability to read books has suffered badly in the pandemic. <laughs> I feel like my focus is consumed by a day of writing and then i just don't have time left for fiction so i've been doing more nonfiction. um but let me look through my list here um uh i really liked ak larkwood's the unspoken name which is a kind of big fantasy in a multiverse with um with you know ships that travel between worlds. Um, it's it's really good. Um, if you're a fan of you know something like Malazan Book of the Fallen, but maybe you want it a little smaller scale than that, that would be that's a really good one. Um, I really liked uh, Max Gladstone's um, uh, Empress of Forever. I feel like is amazing. That's sci-fi technically, although it's in the deep future and it might as well be fantasy. Um, but it's Journey to the West in the Deep Future. It's it's amazing, and uh, I feel like it has been a little bit overshadowed by Max's How to Lose uh, Max and Amal, rather's How to Lose the Time War, which admittedly is also amazing. But like I feel like people haven't heard about Empress of Forever, and they really should have because I yeah. Um, so those would be two that I'd say. Um, a lot of the other things people oh um, Brian Naslin's Blood of an Exile is really good. Um, so good. I feel like that didn't, like, like it's like, I don't know. I was going to say it didn't make a big It's, it's like sneakily like, like, hey, like, in some lists. lists. What? It's like sneakily in some, in some good lists. So I, I, I love that book. Anyway, whatever happened with it, you should all read it. It's great. <laughs> um, I like I like that
0: one quite a lot. Um, I still have a ball to pick with him about that one, though. Uh, and I've mentioned it
1: to him several times.
0: Oh no! You probably know which one I'm talking about.
1: No, what is it? Alfonso? Do you uh, remember? It's been a while. I read that as an arc, so it's been like a year. I uh, Let's talk about it off air. I want to spoil. But yeah, other than that, um, you know, it's it's been it's been a little tricky. Oh, I just finished uh, Yoon Ha Lee's Dragon Pearl, which I quite enjoyed. It's a middle grade book. Okay. Middle grade space opera with like magic foxes. So. That's a lot huh. of fun. And I, okay. I'm a, a big fan of his um uh you know the main series, uh the Hexarchet series. I forget what it's what its actual official title is, but um I oh, oh, <laughs> is the name of the first book. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I
1: know Shama. yeah. Yeah. Okay. See you had some titles. I get there. That's yeah. reaching back a little farther. Usually like I feel like in a normal year I'd have some from the last like six weeks. That's like the last nine months. I mean, you know, when when the past you know seven
0: months feel like ten years. I mean, it's yeah. it's kind of difficult to remember. <laughs> kind of like that, exactly. Uh, well, Django, I appreciate you being on the chat. Uh, I appreciate you coming and talking about Ashes of the Sun and everybody. It is, it. yeah, and everybody it is out now. Uh, like I said, it came out on Tuesday uh, from yep. Orbit. So buy it paperback buy it on audible buy it on yeah once again uh,
1: third place books they're at third place books on twitter and they have a crate of signed copies that they will ship to you if you want a signed copy and who doesn't love signed copies
0: (laughs) well django thanks again uh let's maybe maybe we'll try to do this again in the future maybe maybe closer to, to book two's release i'm sure uh like and I said can- earlier, I got nothing to do these days. Hopefully, we're not in the same situation we are now by this time of yeah. next year. But we can still do uh, a video chat. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you enjoy the rest of your week, and uh, and good luck with the uh, you know, the next few weeks of of sales, and uh, and good luck with your other projects that you got working. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you.